What's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Burkelhammer. So today on the live stream, I welcome back Dong Zo to the show. What's going on there, Dong? Very good. Thank you. Good to be back. Good to have you back. When was the last time we had you on? About five, six months ago, I think? Uh, exactly six months. It's exactly six months. Exactly six months. And the, yeah. tank, <laughs> the tank behind you looks a little different. That's your uh, oh, play I tank. Like yeah, it's my play tank. So that, uh, uh, yeah, I, I like to always rearranging them. Well, if a customer want a big piece of economy, yeah, when the price is right, it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody uh somebody was very opportunistic there and uh yeah you know got some big colonies and and got very lucky so um just a little bit about dong for those of you that don't know dong he has a phd in chemistry and worked for several pharmaceutical companies in various therapeutic areas including anti-inflammatory cancer pain management anti-infectious diseases he developed his first interest in marine invertebrates when he was working as a postdoc at the University of Virginia. He has been in the aquarium hobby since he was in college and got into the saltwater hobby in 2004 after setting up his first marine fish tank for a Nemo and after he discovered the Boston Reefer Society. Yes, go BRS. Yep. Uh, about uh, <laughs> 10 years ago, he co-founded his first company on drug discovery. Soon after that, he was able to combine his passion for coral and its experience in the pharmaceutical industry and co-founded a new company, EcoBioMarine. Eco this company focused on aquaculture, coral for drug discovery and bone grafting. His current company, AcroGarden Inc., was then founded to hold the intellectual properties and to study coral farming, which Dong does very well. AcroGarden is, is now his primary focus. The company produces aquaculture coral, mainly uh, SPS for hobbyists and local fish stores. So yep. before we uh, start chatting with Dong, I want to thank the sponsors of this show, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. Appreciate them supporting this live stream. And I also appreciate all you folks out there tuning in. I want to thank Rob Upstate New York for that preliminary super chat. He's bowling. Rob uh, has been a regular viewer of this live stream, and uh, he was a little bummed out that it was switched to Tuesday nights because that's his bowling night. So, uh, Rob, bowl another 300 there if you're listening at the alley tonight. But uh, thanks, man. Appreciate that support. So, uh, as usual, everybody out there, ask some questions. Let's make this interactive. Throw some uh, questions and comments in the chat. Do our best to get to all that stuff. We have a, uh, an outline, right, uh, Dong, that we, yep, we yes. have uh, prepared. And I'm sure we're not going to get to everything in terms yep. of what's on that outline <laughs> um but yeah let's uh let's start with something that uh i haven't really talked with anybody about on this live stream which you brought up to me a couple of days ago which is vitamin c mm -hmm. dosing what's that yep. all about uh vitamin c dosing actually uh it was very big just like hot water like 10 years ago and right now, that it seems like it uh, disappeared from the landscape. I don't know why, uh, but vitamin C dosing is actually is a scientifically validated because uh, there's uh, plenty of research showing that coral can actively take in vitamin C. Uh, vitamin C actually present in seawater in very, very small amount. But even though they're in very small amount, 
but the C is infinite. So you have infinite supply of vitamin C. So vitamin C actually uh, does some very important things. Just like when human taking vitamin C, so you see the grapefruit. You got the props again. So, oh yeah, the vitamin <laughs> C. Well, uh, for human, we are talking about the antioxidant, right? So we use it as antioxidant. So one, one of the major function of vitamin C within coral is actually is act as an antioxidant. That's one major thing. Uh, and, uh, and explain to those folks, uh, Dong, yeah. what, what, what the purpose is of an antioxidant. Okay. So when coral doing photosynthesis, the byproduct of photosynthesis is actually oxygen radicals. Very reactive, very strong oxidizer, and just like in human, you damage the cell tissue, but that's a byproduct of photosynthesis. So vitamin C acts exactly like human, just same as, as in coral, by quenching those, uh, grab those uh, uh, oxidative, uh, the, those very active species, harmful uh, oxygen radical, grab them, quench them, eliminate them. So to prevent the damage to the cell, the tissue, and that is the antioxidant uh, property. Of course, there are some more uh, uh, roles that vitamin C play in the whole photosynthesis pathway, or that kind of thing. But uh, one of the major function of it is antioxidant, just like we need to take vitamin C. Okay. Second thing is very important is actually vitamin C is critical to produce uh, um, uh, he's the tissue, of the coral fresh to um, the spawn, the collagens. So uh, it's, it's one of the primary, very important uh, starting material, we can say it, a uh, very important chemical to facilitate to generate collagen. The super glue, the glue your tissue, the, the coral tissue to the bone. For a matter of fact that, um, so this is not uh, absolute, uh, not, uh, not, not like control study or something like that. So I have been dosing vitamin C for the past 10 years. So the um, STN and RTN event is greatly minimized, which is uh, consistent with the scientific research. It's basically uh, the tuber grew, the grew the fresh to the bone. Is uh, when the coral become more healthy and they generate the collagen so that the tissue will stay on the bone much so better. are you saying that basically the, the coral can fight off coral pathogens better with the, um, the amount, the excess amount of vitamin C? Um, I think it's not a direct effect, but then you, you definitely get a healthier coral. So for example, that uh, the fresh will stick to the bone much better. Healthy and stronger, uh, it's not yeah. as prone to the pathogens. Yeah. Exactly, and yeah. also that uh, sometimes that when the coral got that damage is by photosynthesis, the byproduct like those uh, radical oxygen radical, uh, uh, so the antioxidant effect becomes so important, especially when uh, for for our aquapora lover. So normally we have strong light. When the uh, pore level is high, and then your photosynthesis is more well. The, the kick on the high gear. That means that you produce more of these uh, oxygen radicals as a byproduct of photosynthesis. Then you need to be quenched, removed, eliminated, 
so that it won't cause damage to the uh, coral tissue itself. So vitamin C actually is a scientifically proven, very important uh, chemical that your coral needs, as well as your fish also need it too. So one example is, well, I'm not sponsored, so okay. <laughs> so I'm not sponsored, but this is what I use. So uh, since I'm not sponsored by anybody, I can freely speak my mind. That's important. And also make well, that's, my a, that's a great thing about you, Don. You, you speak yeah. your mind, so that's why everybody loves you. <laughs> and also if I recommend something. So uh, uh, it's for my experience. It's not got paid by anybody. So uh, my advice would be more valuable, more realistic, a tour, uh, that kind of thing. So, okay, not sponsored, but this is the fish <laughs> food I use. Is the, uh, whatever that is, okay. If you look at a label, vitamin C, that's on right there. It is a primary, uh, not a primary, but it's a very important ingredient. You, you even uh, will see the list on the, on the label there. So vitamin C is, is important for coral, important for fish, and also very important for your uh, algae. So how, how, oh, go ahead there, Don. I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay. So uh, if you uh, uh, look at uh, marine algae, including uh, a plankton algae or seaweed, they are enriched in vitamin C. So those, what those algae actually do? They do photosynthesis. So they actually, the vitamin C in them is basically is the antioxidant for them to help them to do the photosynthesis and also protecting them from the byproduct damage from photosynthesis. So uh, that is why you can find high level of vitamin C in seaweed, plankton, including phytoplankton, zooplankton, for matter of fact, cocoa pot. So I read a paper, <laughs> it, it, it analyzed how uh, rich in uh, vitamin C for cocoa pot is. So uh, eat your orange, vitamin C is important. So dosing vitamin C is actually is a, kind of a tricky thing to do. Because vitamin C is really not that stable in salt water. Um, for, uh, for matter of fact that any vitamin C in a captive system, it basically will all destroy or all get consumed or, go, or get wiped out overnight. So the lifetime in a salt water reef tank is approximately maybe less than a day. Which means... You need to dose. You have a dose daily. But... Uh, you, uh, actually, I remember there's an interesting story back then, like uh, 12, 13 years ago. There's a guy actually local here. Uh, of course, he's no longer in the hobby anymore. He moved on. So uh, he grows beautiful aquapora. At that time, that I was looking at, at his tank. How can you do? How, how do you do that? It's a beautiful aqua colony, big red panty colony. Then he told me one thing. He said, every day, he throws orange juice in his tank. I said, are you crazy? <laughs> orange juice? He said, yeah, it works. <laughs> so, uh, so later on, then what I, what I think, think about this uh, orange juice, it actually makes sense. What's in orange juice? Sugar. Sugar is coral food. Coral can directly take in sugar. For matter of fact, of, uh, when the symbiosis algae, when they do photosynthesis, what they generate? Mostly sugar. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when you dose the orange juice in your tank, uh, you give them sugar. 
and vitamin C. But of course, do not go to the grocery store and grab a gallon of orange juice and pour mm-hmm. in your tank. Don't do that. Not recommended. Yeah, no, I think we, we, I think we have some questions. Um, I got yeah. some questions for you. Uh, okay. First, I want to thank the Polo1126 for the super chat. Thank you so much. My uh, comments, my favorite guest. Always look forward to these conversations. Thanks for another great thank interview, you. Keith. Thank you. Yep. Uh, and Casey Penny, thank you so much for the super chat. We're gonna, uh, I'm gonna read the question, but we're, we're gonna get back to this because I don't want to interrupt the flow of the uh, mm-hmm. vitamin C discussion. Don, last time you were on, you talked about curing our rock and having lights on at the beginning, and using yep. urchins to clean the algae before putting fish and corals in. What do you feed during this? Um, do you want to answer that quickly, and then we can get back to the vitamin? Oh, uh, actually, uh, I normally don't feed anything to it. So if you have fish, feed your fish. Because that the organic material on your live rock that you want to get rid of, that's what the curing process is, is to get rid of the excess dead organic material on the live rock by growing algae on them. So the algae, when the algae grow on those live rock, you basically remove the dead organic material from the rock. So, uh, but I do find out one thing that can definitely help, help you during this stage, phytoplankton. So when you're cycling the tank with your light on, pour a whole gallon of phytoplankton in your tank. Seriously, <laughs> you don't you, you don't have to do it like uh, daily dosing. No, just grab the whole gallon. If you have a hundred ga- hundred gallon tank, grab a gallon, pour right in. For matter of fact, there's a gentleman actually is doing this exactly right now. <laughs> he said, "Oh yeah, <laughs> you you basically uh, speed up the establishment of the whole food chain, whole ecosystem." Phytoplankton is your uh, is the bottom of the food chain. So when you add that to your system, it kickstart the whole um, the whole cycle. But make sure you keep your light on, feed your fish regularly, and dump a gallon of phytoplankton in your tank. There you and go. Sit back, relax. There you go. Um, all right, so let's get back to the vitamin C discussion. So, all yep. right, so you, you're, um, you, you basically say there is research, uh, there's papers been written out there in terms of the benefits of vitamin C for, uh, yes. for coral growth. For coral. For coral growth. Yep. How, how do we know what our levels of vitamin C are in our tank? Are there, is there a way to test for that? Very good question. First, there's no way to test for it. Uh, that is, and also, how much vitamin C in the sea, natural seawater is actually you, you get data all over the place. Basically, the answer is so tiny amount. But in the ocean, the ocean is, is, is so huge. That means that if it have a tiny amount of vitamin C in the seawater, it always have that amount of vitamin C present in the water. But not like in a reef tank. A reef tank is a closed system. So when the vitamin C get consumed, boom, it drops to zero. And if the vitamin C and uh, is not consumed by any living organism, if it get destroyed, basically that uh, the other like bacteria will destroy it, and also even the alkalinity, the the uh, the bicarbonate ion, also that will basically wipe out your uh, vitamin C. From uh, for matter of fact, you you can do a very simple experiment. You get some vitamin C pill, dissolve them in water, and add uh, a, a small amount of baking soda to it. You can immediately see the vitamin C start to degrade, turn into a yellow solution. Is that obvious? So now here is what I suggest to do. Well, of course, toss the orange in the tank, just like this. Easy, <laughs> simple. You got uh, pe- to peel it first. 
<laughs> so if you have a, a central antlers, uh, uh, those kind of tank, you need this. That's so, that's for a larger a tank. Yeah, for a larger tank. Okay, here, non-sponsor, bought from Amazon retail. That is vitamin C capsule. It's very important to use a capsule form because what you can see here are those capsule. What you can do, you can just pull the capsule out and get the powder out. Do not use a, a, a pill. A vitamin C pill actually has a lot of other ingredients there. And also that it doesn't dissolve very well. So what you're gonna do, what I do with it here is, here is a Costco's distilled water. So you can take, take distilled water or ODI or water? water or yeah. anything. So this is a 500 milligram pill. And you can do, well, the, the, they are available at all different kind of uh, weight, size of pill. But I found this is very simple. What size pill is that? This is 500 milligrams. 500 milligrams, okay. Yeah, so very simple. You just open up the capsule and pour, pour everything in. And then you swallow the capsule. No, just kidding. <laughs> Shake it up. Shake Fun. it up. Yeah, okay. Now here has 500 milligram of vitamin C in 16 ounce of water. Okay. So if you dose one ounce of this solution per 100 gallon of uh, a tank volume, you will get approximately 0.1 ppm of vitamin C in the water. How do you know that though if you can't measure it? No, 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 no. Uh, because uh, I, I the concentration in the water. Yeah, okay. Concentration. Right. Okay. Then you end up water at zero point one. I know you're talking about and, in the tank itself. Oh, actually, in the tank, you will you will achieve a zero point one ppm vitamin C concentration. Okay. At that moment, you pour it in. Got you. Okay. So, uh, that is a number basically pull out of rabbit hole. Okay. Basically, all the meaning is that uh, you don't have too much vitamin C, so you end up with a lot of waste. But you have some vitamin C that coral be able to utilize. And also that uh, that vitamin C, well, overdosing vitamin C can be a problem because that uh, many years ago, one time I actually, I tried to up the dose. What happened is that my water started to have a yellow tint to it. So that is not something, uh, even though the coral seems okay, but the yellow tin, I, that's something I don't like. That means if you have too much vitamin C, you definitely... You get a yellow uh, tin. Yeah, yellow tin, because of degradation. But right at this moment, is clear. So this clear solution can last for less than a day, seriously. So make up as much as you want. So 500 milligram into this bottle. Of course, that, this, that pill is only about, what, one cent to... Um, from Amazon. So uh, after you dose it, oh, goes right in. Goes right in. And you drink it. <laughs> yeah, you can't good. say that about too many things we put in our fish tanks that you can also consume exactly. it. <laughs> but but that here actually here comes the important thing. So my philosophy is I only dose something that I know what it is. And also something that I can drink it. Um so you're saying anything food great. You're saying that you have to use it that same day you're mixing it up. Yeah, same day. So uh, you 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 cannot uh, uh, let it stay room temperature. And but are you? I I I do try to uh, put it in the refrigerator. 
Oh, oh so, to try to make yeah. it last. Yeah, make it. It probably lasts a week, but after one week, I just toss it because that during that week in the refrigerator, it does not turn yellow. As long as this thing is clear, it's fine to use. So gotcha. if it turns yellow, and that's a problem. Now here comes in another problem. I'm going to uh, permission to speak my mind. Uh, okay. Permission granted. Uh, okay. <laughs> so think about this. Uh, there's a plain piece of product, coral additive, on store shelf, which contain vitamin C in it. How long those shelves actually stay in? The, how long those bottles stay on the shelf? So in order to keep those vitamin C still, vi uh, still well, it's not degraded, they have to put other chemical to stabilize it. And now when you dose into your, your tank, you're dosing a lot of other stuff. So that is why uh, my philosophy is that uh, if you want to dose anything to your tank, it's much better dosing dose something that you know what it is. Pure. And it's healthy, food gray, cheers. <laughs> yeah, that's that's important that's, thing. That's a man standing behind his tank there and his uh his yeah. his otherwise uh... I just toss the orange in it, but I'm not gonna do it right now. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm assuming you don't need to turn the skimmer off. Does that no, that doesn't no. matter? Um doesn't matter. time because of day, does that matter? Doesn't matter at all. Doesn't matter. It's just uh, whenever you want to uh whenever to do that. you want. And so if you forget about it, no big deal. Seriously. And because of a, uh, a tank, the most important thing, your basic parameter. This is just icing on the cake. What about, you know, so Dong, if you're if you're dosing Fido, and I know you're dose Fido, and if you've got a yep. lot of copepods, and you're feeding all mm -hmm. those pellets, and you're, is there a risk of overdosing the vitamin uh, C if you're also doing the uh, the pills? Ah, uh, you, you mean that dosing the vitamin C as well as Fido? Yep, and dosing, because okay. all that other stuff you talked about that I just mentioned yep. has the vitamin C in it. But those vitamin C are not the free-floating vitamin C. Okay. They are inside the cell. They are naturally protected. Okay. Yeah. And also, when the, uh, actually, those are really good vitamin C when you're dosing phyto. So um, that talk about phyto, and uh, there's really no way to overdose phyto. Just, just give me a second. Yeah, you're going to grab some phyto? Oh, yeah. <laughs> What kind of phyto is it, Dunk? Do you know the strain? Uh, that's nano. Nano phyto? Yeah, my homemade strain. So when when people talk about dosing phyto, this is what I do. Here's a gallon, right? <laughs> you're, you're 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 being very hands-on tonight. You're uh Yeah. <laughs> you're just because you're just that, uh, throwing I... stuff in that tank. <laughs> exactly. You're perfectly fine. Now that uh, that's a very dark strain of uh, phyto. Why is that? Because uh, I've gotten I've gotten the phyto from you, and it was not uh -huh. not as dark as that. Why is that so dark? I I think it's just the light. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that dark uh, uh, under the light, but uh, under this video light, for some for some reason, it looks very dark because this ring light in front of it. So uh, that's the same intensity as I send you. Why? Why do you think this was such a thing? And then, like, you know, ten years ago, and and you know, recent years, a lot of people are not doing it. I mean, why have we we not heard a lot of people talking about vitamin C dosing the, the last few years? Uh, because YouTubers are not talking about it, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody is going to cut water, so that that grab all the attention. So that is why. <laughs> but you can do both, right? Yeah, you can do both. Actually, every day. I consume 30 gallons 
of saturated cold water solution. Yeah, I can't believe that. Oh, that that's well, thirty gallon. Yeah, that that that's. Are you, gonna, are you gonna dump some? Are you gonna, are you gonna dump some cock water in your tank right now? Uh, why not? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't do this at home, oh. folks. Don't just like. Yeah, don't do this at home. Yeah, you're putting it into the sump, right? Oh no. You go right into the tank. Oh yeah, why not? Oh boy. No big deal. <laughs> but the reason is that I have a big system. Now that is very important. So uh, many things that a coral grower does do uh, shouldn't be done for regular hobbyists where you have a smaller tank. That's very important. For example, I can dump this thing in there because I have a huge volume. Right. And they get diluted. Right. So if you do that at home, well, don't do that at home. Do yeah, yeah, don't do it at home. Don't, yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. You want to drip yeah. it into the sump. Yes, um, you have to drip it because it's all about the volume. Yep. Um, so a couple of questions. Corey Page. Hey, what's happening there, Corey? Um, is asking, what Don, what are your phosphates dosing so much phyto? What are your phosphate levels My at? phosphate is always at 0.2 and 0.25 right now. That's crazy high. No, it's not. Not for you. I think, <laughs> yeah, not for me. Because <laughs> before that, uh, I actually have a 0.5 ppm uh, phosphate. And I managed to drop it to 0.25, but of course I didn't see any difference. Um, for matter of fact, that I use a very unconventional method to drop my phosphate quickly, and don't do it at home. Also, <laughs> 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 I basically induce a uh, dino boom. So when you hear a dino, oh my god! But you can induce locally, uh, di local dino boom to drop your phosphate. It's actually very effective but it's also very technically challenged so uh not recommended uh unless you have uh uh area like an empty refugium you probably can try it but when doing all this kind of thing for for a crazy coral grower no many things are not suitable yeah for to do advanced reefers only <laughs> Um, yeah, always reef only except the vitamin C. The vitamin C actually pretty easy. Okay. Um, Sturgis Reef is asking, what are you using for your phyto fertilizer? Uh, those are the F2 fertilizer. They all the same. F2. Yep. 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 No matter where you buy it, they're basically the same. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Dung, let's um, let's switch gears a little bit here and talk about do-it-yourself do coral snow treatment okay so um that's basically you're using a flocculant right what uh let's yeah, let's yes. talk about that uh, in terms of what are the benefits of doing that sort of treatment uh for me uh the reason i use it is because i want crystal clear water that is basically the the, the most important uh use uh the uh aspect uh, why I use the uh, uh, do-it-yourself coral snow. If I have to buy coral snow, I will go broke in no time. So I probably have to drink vitamin C as my only nutrient <laughs> intake. What is your, uh, so, what is your, uh, uh, you, you, uh, you pass this along to me, but share it with the folks yeah. out there. What is your um, recipe for the coral snow? Okay. So the reason that I use this recipe is because that when, well, first of all, let's talk about what exactly is coral yeah. snow. So coral snow actually is originated by alien that they find it on the Area 51. 
And then somebody uh, take it and said these two magical things and have some neutral export property. No, all joke, all <laughs> lies. No, what chorus know exactly? You had me there for a second. It's <laughs> 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 a byproduct of your UFO. So, uh, what exactly is chorus know is actually uh, calcium carbonate, a uh, very fine powder of calcium carbonate. So uh, is there somebody invented coral snow? I can tell you absolutely not. Because that calcium carbonate powder to use for water treatment as a flocculant has been around for several decades. That is what water treatment company do. It basically is just calcium carbonate powder. Mm -hmm. And there's a tons of study done on that. And maybe your, your tongs of water supply is doing exactly that is something that is absolutely trivial, well-known by all the water treatment process. So what it does is basically a fine, very fine calcium carbonate powder. It has so many surface area. Just try to imagine if you get a bag of activated carbon, you grind them to very fine powder, and now you have a gigantic of surface area, and then uh, you just act like coral snow. But the problem is that uh, activated carbon is black. When you add the black powder in your tank, that's really scary. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, calcium carbonate uh, powder is white. It just looks like the cut water, the, the precipitate under the, your cut water container. Actually, that's what exactly it is. Over time, whatever the solid at the bottom is calcium carbonate. Right. It's basically, it's cold water reacting with the carbon dioxide in the air. Of course, reduce global warming by absorbing the carbon dioxide from the air. <laughs> so, <laughs> then you form the calcium carbonate. That's a fine powder. So, uh, there's a study which I shared with you with that graph. So, uh, the, powder, the particle size of this calcium carbonate powder plays an important role. The finer the powder, the better its ability to, to absorb all the impurities. It basically is just a substance. It happened to be pure white, which is, uh, is good looking, pure white. And then <coughs> make us comfortable with those in our tank. Have huge amount of surface area. It acts just like um, uh, ground up activated carbon. So all these organic molecules, they just adhere to it and uh, remove from the uh, water column. Also, it's a flocculant. So basically, uh, uh, the particle, a fine little calcium carbonate particle, where, where it just born, where it just formed, is small with a lot of uh, surface area there. Yep. And now all these uh, other things are start to adhere to it. And then you end up with this. And now this, because it's so big, it dropped out from the water column and export by your skimmer. And now here we go, that's how the flocculent work. So uh, basically this fine powder does two things. One is the surface area to adhere all the organic molecule. Because organic molecule, uh, the water color, so, uh, or called the water discolor, is mostly due to organic molecule in the water. That's where the color come from. So when those organic molecule adhere to your little orange, and they get removed from the water, a little calcium carbonate. So that your water will look uh, very clear because the yellow color is gone. 
And when the orange become a grapefruit, it's big enough to fall off or go to your skin market, export it. And now your color is gone. And also the other impurity that attached to the thing also gone. It, so basically it's a, yeah, it's a purification process. Is it is it necessary if you're using activated carbon 24 seven and you don't really have the yellowish uh, tint to your water? Uh, in that case, that uh, the uh, calcium carbonate just has less um, <clears throat> chemical to adhere to it. So, uh, but then the thing is that coral snow definitely remove a lot more different type of uh, organic molecule, including many of them have no color on it. It's clear. They remove those too because that coral snow is such a fine powder. It basically is a much uh, is a super activated carbon. It it does a much better job than your activated carbon. And uh, because it also has a much larger surface area too. Would would you say that um, if you're using activated carbon twenty four seven that you should stop doing that if you're doing a coral snow or would the activated carbon help in in addition to the coral snow treatments? I run both. You run do I you do both? Have, yeah, yeah. I always have activated carbon in there. Because that all these methods, they probably they only remove a portion of the uh, organic purity, so you won't strip everything out. <clears throat> so uh, I think that um, they don't conflict to each other. You can use one or so the other. So they're they're kind of helping one another. Um, yeah. A sidebar question: Activated carbon. How often yep. should we think about changing out activated ah. carbon? I've always thought about, um, you know, I've always have, I've been under the assumption of done, and this is what I've done for years and years and years, I've always changed out my activated carbon after, like, I think three weeks? I think two to three weeks is about right. Yeah. For matter of fact, most activated carbon, they lose the majority of the potency maybe in one or two days. So as a chemist, we uh, have... When we add activated carbon in some reaction, you can see that uh, activated carbon acts really quickly, but also get, uh, get retarded. It gets saturated very, very quickly. So I think that the first 24 hour probably is most active. Uh, you remove the most of the material. Right. But then you still have some uh, capacity to continue to keep your water clean, maybe like two to three weeks. and. It's very difficult to imagine that it's actually still active after three weeks. Right, right. Yeah, for example, uh, some activated carbon saying that while well, you keep your water clear, salt water clear for six months. I think this is just so ridiculous. Um, so a couple of, a couple of, couple of comments and questions. Um, Chris C., running a tank without a skimmer, what would uh, snow still be helpful if you're running a tank oh, without a yes, skimmer? Oh, yes, it does. Okay. Uh, the, um, but it will be less helpful. The reason for that is that most of this grapefruit, the, the, the uh, coral snow with a lot of junk stick on it, is going to adhere to your live rock or precipitate down to your sand. It's not actually being removed from your system. But when you have a skimmer, some of them is physically, the grapefruit physically get removed out of the system. But of course, that when the coral snow precipitate uh, down and on your live rock, and those organic molecules will permanently stick on it, they won't get released back to your water anyway. 
So you're still doing a, a cleaning job. But, <clears throat> so just let's think about this way. Well, a pretty gross way is that when you use your toilet paper, you probably should toss it out to the trash can. Yeah. <laughs> you flush that, yeah. <laughs> right, you flush yeah, that. you know, I'm yeah, not the not trash can dog. Oh, not trash yeah. can, you flush that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I saw somebody made a comment about vermitid snails. I know that people do yep. use coral snow for uh, vermitid, insane reefer. Do you think it works by clogging vermitid snails? What do you, what do you think about no. using that for vermitid snails? No, it won't work at all. Yeah, I, I, I did it. I, it didn't really help me. Yeah, first of all, that uh, the coral snow, um, when it disperses throughout the system, it basically the it doesn't even affect the gill of the fish. So the fish can swim in a in a partially cloudy tank. They are not get affected. How can those uh, vermitid snail get affected at all? And especially they have trap door. They close the door and everything is out. Yeah. So they just theoretically you shouldn't have any effect on those vermitid snails. What, what, and, what, but there is a. I yeah, was going to ask you what Go would ahead. be your advice to to somebody that wants to get rid of their vermitid snails? Ha. Super goo gel. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> oh, no, actually, seriously, it, it, works. it works. Yeah, but uh, yeah. to find all of them, it's uh, if you got a big tank. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that going to be. Uh, but on the other hand, those snails are actually is not as harmful as people think. Yeah, I don't really, they don't bother me that much. I mean, I, you yeah. know, I see the webs coming out and whatnot, but mm -hmm. I don't think it's that big of a deal yep. personally. But. Uh, I totally agree with you, with you. I actually asked somebody that is uh, holding a scientific paper and telling me how bad this rheumatic snail is. So I read the paper. I, I pointed out to him, the study is done on the area, have millions of the vermitid snail. They basically just shaded the coral. Mm. It's that much in order to damage the coral. They have physically uh, crawl, uh, grow on the coral, shaded it so that it, the coral dies. It's not, it's not like here is a coral, here's a snail, and then the snail will kill the coral. No, it's not like that. It's, it, uh, the study was done on the reef area is super infested with those snails, and there's basically no place for coral to grow. And that is what that paper is for. It's not like your your snail here, and we have your we kill your coral there. No, it doesn't. I mean, doesn't you know, what what I do is like if I have a vermitid snail and it's and it's thrown yep. out its web uh, next to an acro or something like that, then yeah, I'll uh, I'll take care of that vermitid snail. I'll go in and do yeah. something to it, you know, because it's pissing off a specific coral and and. Um, but, you know, it will uh, certainly, you're not going to snuff out the problem entirely. But I think that if it's like really getting on a particular coral, then it's worth kind of like picking one off here or there. That, yep. uh, you know, but I, to, to be able to totally eliminate them, I see that um, Dominic from On Point Corals said uh, he's had results with bumblebee snails, but he knows Dong doesn't buy it. Bumblebee snails. Oh, bumblebee snail. Uh, actually, uh, well, I think it probably work. Because that it makes sense, the bumblebee snail to eat the vermitid snail. Yeah. But it's, but the chance of the but how many bumblebee snail do you need? There's a lot. Yeah, I think I did have some yeah. luck with bumblebee snails. Uh, they kind of yeah, like I, cut I, back the population of the vermitid snails. I, I I think it's theoretically it works. Uh, but for me, is that my tubes are super glue. It's much cheaper and easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so black uh, pedagogue 
if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, I was going to ask you this question. Does Dong add bacteria to his coral snow to combat the cyano? Any, and do, uh, do you, is bacteria part of your coral snow treatment? No. 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 Uh, the reason is that if you add coral snow and adding bacteria, you basically work against yourself. So what the coral snow is really good at is a heat bacteria on it. Mm. <laughs> and then remove the bacteria out of the water column. <laughs> That's one part of the fraudulent effect. And bacteria as a greasy little ball, yeah, they boom, adhere to the coral snow. So there is really, um, it basically it just works against yourself by using bacterial dosing and uh, uh, coral snow, if, if that's what, what it means. Right, I think, um, I think the, the, uh, there, there is a thought out there that, um, that adding bacteria to the equation can help with the fight against cyano. But your, your coral snow recipe, uh, you know, the, the fact that it acts as a flock, flocculant is, yep. um, you know, it's reducing mm -hmm. organics, right? So that yep. um, mm -hmm. will uh, help cyano potentially recede. Uh, basically, it's the idea to rob the food out of baby's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, but dosing bacteria is um, actually uh, come to think about it this way: is that what exactly the bacteria? So, if I know the bacterial strain, and then I have, um, I can find scientific literature showing that oh. This strains of bacteria can actually uh, cannibalize the, or kill the cyanobacteria. Yeah, I, I will think about it. Yeah, that probably is a good thing because in the nature, using one bacteria to kill the other bacteria is pretty common. And for, for many of fact, that's how the, many of the antibiotics is being discovered. Right. So, yeah. And, and you're not a fan of dosing bacteria, I know that. Uh, actually, it depends on uh, if I know what bacteria I'm dosing or not. Oh, you're changing your tune on dosing bacteria? Uh, oh, no. Uh, no, no. The thing is that uh, no, I, 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 if that bottle is a bacteria, clearly label was on it. Oh, uh, okay. So if you, if you yeah. knew what you were dosing, you knew, then... Exactly. You... Otherwise, I won't dose it. For example, just like if I go to your house and start tossing bacteria around your house, oh, keys, that help your health. <laughs> Uh, Merry Christmas! <laughs> the whole batch of unknown bacteria. I don't think that anybody would be well, what, happy what about you, it. Have you? Um, do you have any um, uh, knowledge in terms of what what uh, they're doing at Hydrospace LLC? They, I, 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 I'm pretty sure they. Um, people help me out in the chat here, but I'm pretty sure they have the exact strains of the bacteria that are in their bottles that you can dose. Uh, to kill cyanobacteria? No, just for um, you know what kind of the benefits of dosing bacteria ah, in terms of probiotics okay. and coral yep. food and that sort of thing. Uh, coral. Well, here's coral the thing. Health. Well, when the bacteria, yeah, the bacteria on the on the label, some uh, most of the bacteria on the label actually is the bacteria already in your tank. Yeah, that that uh, I, I, when I browse around the bacterial products. Either it's a mystery box that you never yeah. know what's inside, or it's the bacteria that is so common that is already in your tank, and mostly denitrification bacteria. But here comes the interesting thought. So denitrification bacteria also wrap the food out of baby's mouth of your cyano. It's competing for its uh, nu nutrient. So, but this, on, on the other hand is that how viable 
is this part of the bacterial sitting on a store shelf. So uh, if the scenario is like this, now that I was given a bottle of bacterial right from the company who produced them with the label on it saying what it is in there and hang uh, and give me a stack of paper, scientific paper. Oh yeah, this bacteria will kill your cyano. I will dose it in a heartbeat, seriously. If yeah, if you had yeah. scientific um Yep. Yeah. But if that bottle of bacteria sitting on a store shelf at room temperature for more than a week, hell no. <laughs> so that, sorry about the language. And and that uh no, it's, the bacteria, it's not a family yeah. show, so you can you know. Okay. So uh then uh, much better than root beef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. right, right. Reef beef, yeah. Well yeah. they warn you before um, you watch it there, so you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um I think uh, uh my uh, my point is that anything that goes into my tank, I need to know what they are. Yeah, I that's need a, to know what they do. That's a great point. They're they're, yep, they're... and also it's food safe. Well, you keep drinking that vitamin C there, Dong. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's good for me. Just to to go back to our earlier conversation in terms of water clarity, and and, um, I saw somebody uh, ask about this, and I forgot to uh, ask you about it, but um, ozone, what are your thoughts about using ozone? Yeah, ozone, uh, do the water uh, clarity thing via a different way. Ozone is a very strong oxidizer. And here is a very interesting property of many organic molecules. When those organic molecules being oxidized uh, by oxidizer like ozone, uh, if uh, it has some yellow color, brown color, when you get oxidized, it turns clear. That is an interesting organic molecule property. Many of them, I'm not saying 100% of them, but many organic compounds which has color after being oxidized by ozone or any uh, strong oxidant, oxidant, and then you turn into colorless. So that is how the ozone removes the water color to make it clear. But there is a very important thing. Given that molecule being oxidized to this, this oxidized to this, is still in your water. So using ozone, Basically, uh, to make the water clear is more like a, a cosmetic, cosmetic effect. So that molecule just changed a different form, become a bigger oxidized, but it's still in your water. If that molecule is harmful, when you oxidize, it probably, yeah, it probably even become more harmful or maybe less harmful. Who knows? But it's still in your water. It doesn't get removed. So that is the, the important thing, is that even your water become clear, it's more a cosmetic surgery. It does not change the fundamental thing, is that that impurity you want to remove, still in your water. But on coral snow, when coral snow get exported by the skimmer, and that, you're out. So just like flush down the toilet, you totally remove. So it's much better, uh, the proper way to use coral snow is to use a good skimmer alongside with coral snow. So you want the coral snow to grab all this junk and become so big 
and then you get removed by the skimmer and found the toilet. Right, and you're Let not, um, you know, I, I know some recipes for coral snow say turn off the skimmer and turn off the return pumps and let the coral snow set, settle on the substrate and the rocks and all that sort of thing. But you're, you're, in your recipe, you're basically calling for just business as usual after you dose the coral snow, correct? Yep. yep. Don't turn off so, anything. Uh, don't turn off anything. You want the coral snow to sustain in the water as much as long as possible. Not precipitating on your rock, not precipitating on your sand. Uh, well, at least minimize that effect. You basically like putting your toilet paper on your floor. You want to down the toilet, <laughs> <laughs> not on your floor. If you shut off the flow, this end up on your floor, and that means the toilet paper everywhere. So <laughs> that, the important thing is that let the particles suspend it so that it can travel to the sun, heat the skimmer, and because now it's a much bigger par uh, particle, especially when uh, the coral snow have a lot of organic molecules and heat on it, it becomes more hydrophobic and easier for the skimmer to pull out. So when you go to the skimmer cup, it's out. It's down the toilet, gone. And then your mission accomplished because you remove those impurities. A um, couple of um, more questions about this, uh, Dong. Uh, so calcium carbonate right you're saying that okay. basically the the yep. recipe is calcium carbonate when yep. uh when you and i were talking you your basic recommendation to me was take some uh, esv2 part and yep. um mix uh mix part a into part b shake vigorously and yep. uh and dose and and there was um specific recommendations in terms of how much to mix and how much to dose and all that sort of thing is is that uh, what you would recommend folks to do is to mix up a couple of two-part or actually go and buy um, some powdered calcium carbonate and mix that up? Uh, well, so if it's easier for you to, to get the calcium carbonate uh, powder to, to mix them up, and that, uh, that works. But keep in mind that uh, if you use the part A and part B, mix them together, the reaction will produce one-to-one -one ratio, just like you're dosing. Uh, it, the, the end result of this chemistry, chemical reaction is produced calcium carbonate. Fresh, newly born calcium carbonate. And that means that the powder is really, really fine. And anything that you can buy from Amazon, for example, like in a powder, and uh, the, the, the size, particle size probably is kind of big on the big side. Otherwise, that uh, because the important thing is that when you open up the the, uh, the bottle, if the powder really fine, and then you it become a hazard. Oh, so physically you, can, you yeah. can inhale it, and that's not yeah, good. Yeah, physically you, you inhale it. So that means that the the most calcium carbonate powder you bought, it actually the particle size is pretty big. So uh, just like the paper I shared with you is that the finer the size, the more effective it is. For the, for the so that's coral why snow. you were uh, recommending yes. the, the, to the Just make your own. liquid, mixing yep. the liquid. liquid, liquid, and then when you mix two liquid together, it doesn't matter uh, which one go in first or which one go in last. You just pour them together, shake, 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 and then make a milk and pour on your tank. So uh, <clears throat> that uh, will, will give you the newborn coral snow with an ultra fine powder. <laughs> Also, a small size, yeah. Um, I saw a question here from uh, who was it? Um, made a comment about ammonia, ammonium dosing. Uh, oh, okay. What uh, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? 
That doesn't sound uh, terribly safe. Actually, ammonium ammonium chloride dosing, ammonium hydroxide dosing. Okay. Yeah. Are being used, yeah, yeah. It's commonly being used by coral farm, Re reef, farm. It was reef reptiles that had that question. Yep. Oh, okay. So, um, uh, actually, the dosing ammonium chloride, ammonium or ammonium hydroxide, is pretty commonly used in coral farm. But just like I said before, <laughs> this is actually one method. Be very careful. The reason for that is that they are dosing their the ammonium chloride, ammonium hydroxide in what? 10,000 gallon system. So that is actually there's a lot of room of error that, uh, well, just in case overdose. And when you have a huge system and it, it, it probably has a less uh, damaging effect. So think about it. The way is that a reef tank, the pH is about 8, 8.2, 8.3. When your ammonium chloride get into your tank, you become ammonia. You are dosing ammonia. And also another thing is that the fish population, fish population in coral farms, I'm, I'm not talking about the coral farm like this. I'm talking about coral farm like- Big. Like maybe like Chris, Chris Mackley, yeah. the huge, big. So the fish density probably is much lower than what we have right now. So when you dose ammonium chloride, Ammonium chloride or ammonium hydroxide, even worse, you're dosing ammonia straight to your tank. So your fish is going to get hit. So that is a really dangerous thing to do. Uh, if you have no fish, oh, no problem. Because that uh, coral, they're happy to see ammonia. Because the ammonia is one of the easiest nitrogen format that coral can take in. They readily take in. So remember that uh, when Jake Adams was alive and it was one time that he was saying on live stream uh, when you have a new tank you add coral first and then you add fish yes. because coral has a much higher tolerance of ammonia for matter of fact they love it you got one ppm ammonia in your tank with coral only the coral love it yeah it's and actually your one ppm ammonia probably do more magic than your 10 ppm of nitrate but if you have your power over oh, sorry a powder brown tank, your hippo tank, your dory, your Nemo, with one ppm ammonia sitting in there. No good. No good. Yeah. So the thing about this way is that some method can be utilized for uh, coral farm. So to grow coral uh, may not be suitable for home uh, for home aquarium because the situation is different, the volume is different, the inhabitant inside the tanks are different. So. Uh, I always tell people that when, when this question come up is that this all these things are icing on the cake. So your coral might grow five percent faster, but who cares? Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For a and, hobbyist, and it doesn't some, really matter that much. It doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. So and also all these methods, uh, when you push the envelope, that means that you also increase your risk. It's, easier for the tank to go haywire to to basically break the tank or that kind of thing so is it really worth the effort to put your tank at a higher risk just for achieving five five percent coral growth no, no probably not no but for a coral farm it's a different story five percent coral growth is a lot 
that means that five percent more revenue. Right, more coral. Five percent more coral. Yeah, yeah. More, oh, that's a huge. Um, NSB reefs reminded me of something, and that uh, this whole peeing in the tank phenomenon. I know Rich Ross oh. um, Reef Beef uh, <laughs> has talked about people used to pee in their tanks and all that sort of thing. So that's yep, yep. pneumonia. That's true. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Don't please but, don't demonstrate that, Dunk. Uh, uh, pretty difficult. Speaker's so tall. Okay, so uh, actually, the peanut tank, you know, uh, the the story, it came out originally from a clam farm. So I like to dig into this kind of story, just like those uh, uh, the website called the Snoop or something like that. So there are all these um, uh, uh, internet, all these old wife tale, and they always have origins. So the origin of that peanut tank thing is actually uh, is originated from clam farm. So it go back to the story is that clam become a protected species because in Southeast Asia, so many wild clam population get decimated for food. And then uh, after all the international law, whatever clam actually fall into that category. But clam meat are uh, one of the major food source so farming clam become a high priority. But at a big, but clam in in the nature grow really really slow. So basically, at the beginning, uh, uh, the clam farm was deemed uh, economic, economically not viable because clam grow too slow. So, but then, <laughs> it happened is that some uh, raceway of the clam actually grow much faster. It turns out. The people who are keeping those those raceway are peeing in them, and then <laughs> when we people then people start to find out uh, nitrate, ammonia, urea actually can accelerate the growth of a clam by four times, or sometimes even six times. That means that normally you could take two years for a clam from a baby, a tiny one, to a sellable size for your uh, clam chowder. <laughs> it takes about two years. That is not viable uh, for uh, the too slow. But now, six months, we got the same size. Suddenly, the clam farm business becomes <clears throat> sustainable. They even paper publish about uh, how to uh, raise clams. Basically, 5 ppm of nitrate. Yeah, wow. that's what it is. Wow. Five ppm, and you, 5 ppm of nitrate, 1 ppm, ppm ammonia, uh, whatever those so-called trade secret is not really secret they are published so yeah that's where p in the tank thing actually came from <laughs> it actually is a very important thing it revolutionized the whole clam farm thing by peeing in a tank <laughs> and that actually lead to another uh dosing phenomena we have a rift tank if you do a search on google you'll find out people actually dose urea in a tank but for matter of fact, I think urea dosing is a much better than ammonia dosing because that urea is much less toxic to your fish. Yeah, it's not something that I would uh, really uh, play no. around with. <laughs> not, wor not worth it. With, uh, talk, talking about out there ideas, I wanted to ask you this question um, since we're talking about dosing kind of things that are out there. Yeah. Um, do you know Bob Stark ESV? Have you heard that name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, uh, yeah. he, he, like, swears by dosing bleach to his uh, reef tanks. What, okay. what are your thoughts on dosing bleach? Yes. And... Dosing bleach, bleach basically is a strong oxidizer. Oxidizer, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you use bleach carefully, 
by tiny tiny amount it actually do the same thing as your uh, ozone dosing. Same idea, strong oxidizer, it make your water clear, crystal clear. And but if, if you drink too much beer, you add too much bleach, and then you get a crystal clear tank with no coral in it. <laughs> so that is the thing. Well, uh, if you uh, dose bleach in your tank in a very careful fashion, and you also test uh, <clears throat> it's testable for matter of fact for bleach. So, um, but it's too risky. Seriously, it's way too risky for any uh, so reefer to do that. You just, but in theory and in practice, when you do it carefully, it actually work. But it's like uh, remember, I remember that uh, in the uh, ancient history. And some emperor, some queen and king, they eat a little bit of poison, those a little bit of poison mm-hmm. to their food. Yeah. So they build up the immune system. Yeah. Uh, no, so they, 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 yeah. they build up the, the, the tolerance yeah. For, yeah. for poison. So then they have to do it so carefully because that too much will kill them. That's the same thing as bleach. Small amount, tiny amount, pretty good. Then you got crystal clear water. If you accidentally shake your hand, too much go in there, and then there's a funeral of your fish, your dory, <laughs> your Nemo, all go to funeral. So you're kind of living on the but edge. It, yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah, but it's a it's a viable theory, and yet if you do it carefully, yep, it, you got crystal clear water. Yep. Same thing as ozone. Gotcha, uh, Alex C. Thank you so much for that super chat. I finally made it to a live chat. Love your show, Keith. Awesome to hear Dong again. Very <laughs> enjoyable. Happy holidays. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so, Dong, we 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 talked a little bit about um, bacteria dosing, and yep. um, so side effects. Are there any okay. side effects to bacteria dosing? Can you develop cyano from bacteria dosing, even though some folks believe that dosing certain bacteria can help eliminate cyano? Okay. Uh, now, yes and no. Here's the thing. Uh, if that bottle of bacteria comes straight from the laboratory, straight to my door, in a cooler, and what's inside? It's a lie and guarantee. I put it in my tank. It probably will compete with the cyano. It will do what it does. But if this bottle sitting in a store shelf for more than a week, a month, a year, most of the bacteria inside will, will be dead. And what they left behind are pollutants. So when you add this bottle into your tank, you actually polluted your tank. It actually will increase your cyanide. So that is a different, that's why the quality of the bacteria is very important. But to get a good quality of other bacteria, you cannot sit on the store shelf. I think, um, you know, one thing that I've heard about bottled bacteria is that if it gets shipped in freezing temperatures, and that's potentially a problem where it can kill the bacteria in, in the, uh, during uh, transit, in transit, um, so yeah, I think my understanding is there, there are certain things that need to, um, you know, certain, certain like temperature ranges that the bacteria have to be in or else it is. And oxygen. And oxygen. Yep. Um, what about, um, 
What was my other? Oh, uh, what about dry bacteria? Was that a is that a be, is that a better alternative? Yes, it, indeed, it is a much better alternative because dry bacteria, um, preserving bacteria by drying them, is a well established method. And when they uh, the survival rate or revival rate when they hit the water is pretty high. For matter of fact, that is a much better way. Uh, to preserve the bacteria and then uh, you stable in room temperature when they're dry and then you actually attack. So that actually is a much, much better way than, a, than um, a bottle of liquid. And also for the hobbyist, when you get a dry bacteria, you're actually getting the bacteria. Yeah, I use the... Uh... When you get this bottle, you're getting a bottle of junk. <laughs> I use the... Uh... So is... I use the, uh, yeah. the dry bacteria from uh, Captivate Aquaculture's Remediate. And uh, that's a dry bacteria, and, and uh, yeah, to, basically it doesn't activate until it hits that uh, yep. that tank water. What about um, alternatives to bacteria dosing, carbon dosing, right? Ah. So mm-hmm. you know, people uh, can dose vodka to their uh, mm-hmm. tanks to accelerate bacteria yep. growth. Is that a better alternative versus bacteria dosing? Okay, so both bacteria dosing and the carbon dosing such as like the vodka vinegar, is the same method, basically robbing the food out of the baby's mouth. The same idea. So how the carbon dosing, like the vodka and uh, vinegar dosing, is basically providing a carbon source to promote the growth of the bacteria already living in your tank when they grow and they take out all these nutrients. So um, because the amount of this kind of bacteria probably overwhelm what the cyano, the population, uh, the cyano or dino. So, and also that by removing the nutrient, available nutrient from the water, <clears throat> that will limit the uh, cyano or dino growth. With that said, you do need a very good protein skimmer because the bacterial dosing without protein sk- good protein skimmer is a terrible way to kill your tank. Uh, example number one. I have, uh, I know a guy that several years ago, and then uh, he used a bio pallet at the time. It's really popular using bio pallet. Mm-hmm. Bio pallet basically is a solid form of carbon dosing. It's just like the solid form of the dosing vinegar or uh, vodka. What he does there, he doesn't have a skimmer. He got a, uh, the, the, what do you call it, bio, the, the reactor for yeah, the bio pallet reactor. Bio pallet. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. That he can see the pallet, pallet started melting away, and then uh, his corals start dying. Because that, that all the bacteria grows, uh, they take up all the oxygen, bigger because when, uh, that's another important thing, you should have a skimmer. If you want to do carbon dosing, you, sp- you make sure the oxygen level in your tank is adequate. Because when bacteria grows, and then you take the oxygen away, so he ended up crashing his whole tank. Mm. It's basic, and including his fish, all starving from oxygen. So uh, that is the uh, important thing is that when you want to do carbon dosing, you need a good skimmer. And also you better do water change, seriously. <laughs> that is uh, another way to remove all the junk out of it. Um, so it's 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 dose, risky, yeah. right? I mean, it's risky to uh, carbon uh, dose. No, not not really. Actually, I think that carbon dosing probably safe, probably safer than dosing bacterial. The reason number one, 
<clears throat> carbon dosing is utilizing the bacteria you already have in your tank. So those bacteria in your tank is 100% alive. So when you dose a bacterial product, you probably have, what, 10% uh, alive? Uh, when you when, when that thing sitting in a bottle, and maybe yeah, 80% you're alive. You're saying that there, yeah. there are some dead bacteria in that bottle. Yeah. And though all the dead bacteria in the bottle will become the nutrient to be removed. So that, uh, that actually counterproductive. So uh, when you're using carbon dosing and you're promoting the bacteria to grow in your tank and all those bacteria are in perfect health, they're 100% alive. And also they already adapted to your tank environment. I guess so they're ready to grow. I guess my question though is if you dose too much, then you're gonna accelerate the bacteria growth too fast and they could suck yes. up the nutrients too fast, which would yes, be kind of a shock happen. to the system. I mean, I guess that's what I was talking about in terms of the risk. Okay. Yep. That actually is a very good point. That is the reason that I won't recommend using biopallet, but dosing vodka or vinegar. Because biopallet, you have no way to control how much carbon you put in your tank. It depend on it's depending on the, uh, the composition of the biopallet, how good uh, it's being manufactured, and also your reactor size, your flow rate, your biopallet size, and also the uh, the bacteria that require to cleave those atoms, no, no, sorry, those molecules of those biopallets. So many factors there, you have no way to control it. But when you're dosing vodka, vinegar, you know how much you dose. One mil is one mil. Two mil is two mil. It's precisely controlled. Biopallet is uncontrollable. So that is the uh, biopallet actually originally developed for farming fish. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so coral uh, is a lot more sensitive and fragile. For example, that when your uh, bacteria are growing haywire and your oxygen level become very low in a pond for growing fish, the fish, you can see they're jumping around and grabbing air from the uh, water surface or even poke their head out of the water. The coral cannot do that. The coral <laughs> sit there. Oh my God. Corals are screwed. Yeah, screwed. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's why biopallet is something that you should never use, seriously. And just leave the biopallet to those of fish farmer. And it's really not good for uh, growing coral. Uh, if you want to do carbon dosing, vodka or vinegar. So actually dosing vodka and vinegar are the same thing. Uh, because the, the vodka, the alcohol, the ethanol, has to be converted to vinegar first by some of the bacteria in your tank. And then uh, absorbed by another bacteria to grow. So basically your dosing vinegar, uh, dosing vodka is exactly the same thing, uh, but they're good and bad. So the good thing is that dosing vodka, is, uh, you dose, uh, uh, there's no effect on your pH because vinegar can affect your pH. If you have a 1,000 gallon tank, 250 gallon tank, no big deal. Uh, like Greg Healer has a 400 gallon tank. He can dose vinegar because it's such a big volume, right? right. If you have a 20 gallon nano, if you want to do common dosing, stick to vodka. Don't use vinegar because that you fluctuate your pH too much. Um, hey, Chris Carney's out there. What's happening there, Chris? Uh, his <laughs> comments, uh, Jake and I used vodka to carbon dose during college in 2002. So it's 
been going on for a long time. Oh, especially when carbon dosing to yourself is really effective. Like a martini, <laughs> shake, but not stir. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, the funniest thing is that when we talk about uh, carbon dosing, one shot of, uh, of vodka for the tank, one shot for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, John, John Wright says, uh, I dose vodka, but not in my tank. But my tank looks, yeah, exactly. but my tank looks better after dosing. <laughs> oh, exactly. Actually, another thing to, to make your tank, the color pops a lot more is that uh, like, uh, every year I went to the, the eye doctor. So he dilated my pupil. When I come I back, I thought you were going to say oh, you, you take mushrooms or something oh, like that. Oh, mushrooms is another option. <laughs> but dilating your pupil and then you look at the color, it's fantastic. Oh my God, I never know that color look like that. So <laughs> there is actually uh, that's another uh, interesting uh, business idea that uh, some, guy, some person uh, some people uh, ask me about is by you uh, spray paint the front of your tank with an orange film. So uh, you orange film spray painted your tank. Turn on your blue LED. Voila, your coral pops. <laughs> spray paint your tank, really? Oh yeah, it's a transparent paint. It's like gel. Ah. Uh. It's like orange gel. So just spray on the tank. Then there's another idea is that That's the get back those, of the tank, uh, right? No, 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 the front. The front. Oh. It's just like you're wearing the orange glass. Uh, another guy is saying that just a plaster with uh, film, orange film, in front of your tank and turn on the blue LED. Voila. Yeah, pops. <laughs> pops. Um, and then your coral also what, what's, will die later on. What uh, John Ryan's asking, what your, what's your recommendation in terms of vodka dosing? How much would you dose? There actually, if you do a, a, a water dosing uh, search on Google, there actually there is a program there tells you step by step how much to dose and what's the dosage at different uh, time period. It's very detailed. So uh, people have spent so much time and try and error and to come up with this kind of table. Um, so you just do a Google search on it. There you, you can immediately find the, the recipe, the table, uh, on Reef to Reef or Reef Central. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of lot of um, yeah. a lot of uh, literature out there. Um, let's talk about something different, Dong. Stability in a reef tank. I know when I've had you on before, ah. we've talked about um, how you believe, and I, I've witnessed this too, that uh, <clears> it's <throat> not necessarily critical to keep alkalinity stable. Like the DKH can swing. And uh, acros can ha handle that swing. You know, a lot of people hammer home the fact that stability is so key with a uh, with a reef tank. If um, if we exclude, let's say um, alkalinity, and let's let's not focus on that. What other things in mm -hmm. terms of parameters would you say are important to keep stable, or do you think that's not important in terms of stability in terms of certain parameters? Oh, uh, very good question. Um, well, matter of fact. Um, the stability, if you can keep your tank stable and it's not too much effort for you, why not, right? right? But now the question is that what happens if my tank, the parameters swing all over the place? Will that be harmful? Probably not. Because if you look at a natural reef, the natural reef is really not that stable as people think it is. So uh, there's a many studies show there on Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, the uh, salinity swing, alkalinity swing, temperature swing. So, and right now that I see some studies showing that your calcium can be as low as 250 ppm. 
with no effect, which should make sense because the calcium is transported actively into the into the coral. So uh, I think that the stability should be a range instead of a number. For example, your alkalinity can be 7 to 11, just like your convenience store. As long as in that range, you're fine. No problem. What happens if you dip below 7? For a short period of time, no big deal. Yeah. Um, if you, yeah. I'll, I'll, let me chime in because my uh, okay. one of my systems, my alkalinity dipped into like the 5.6 range yep. for like mm -hmm. a day, two days. Yeah. But that's also the importance... And I know you you don't have a um, an alkalinity monitor, but I knew that because I was I I, I monitor my DKH twice a day, so yep. I was able to address that, mm -hmm. and it only like was at that level for like a day, maybe two days. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, no, I think I I experienced that in terms of it was in that very very low uncomfortable range for me, yet it did yep. not have any ill effect on the corals because yep. it was just brief. And actually, that it happened to me two days ago. Oh, it did. Yeah, this is done. Uh, the calcium, uh, the calcium reactor. Actually, the, the carbon dioxide ran out. <laughs> I didn't pay attention to that. Oh, the media so ran out. I, I, yeah, yeah. No, not the media. It's a carbon dioxide tank. Oh, it's empty. the tank. Okay, the CO two. Yeah. Yeah. So because I check my alkalinity every day, so when I wake up, I check. Oh my God, six point five. Then I look at the tank. Oh yeah, the 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 CO two is gone. It's out. So I swap the tank. And now bump it back to nine, nothing happened. And for matter of fact, when when uh, but for a long period of time at low alkalinity, I don't think that helps. That that probably shouldn't be. Uh, probably should have some uh pretty bad side effect. But briefly, it's not really a big deal. And if you look at it scientifically, alkalinity is just a buffering capacity. So it's really not a single element or a nutrient that your coral have to be uh, keep stable to be function. No, it doesn't. Because that even uh, the calcification can still happen if your alkalinity is 6.5 or even 5.6. Yeah, it still can happen. It probably happens slower, but it still happens. But does it have any uh, permanent damage effect? Uh, look at the biology. No, it, it, it shouldn't. It shouldn't have that. But of course, that uh, uh, when the environment fluctuates too much, and no living animal will like it. That's right. for sure. Right. Uh, but do we have to keep at such a narrow range? I don't think so, because like human, for example, that when you walk upstairs, you live in your bedroom in winter, uh, sixty-five degree, ah, perfectly fine. Then you go down to the living room, ah, seventy-two, and then they go back, go down here, seventy-eight. Oh my God! So. Does it really matter for me? No, it doesn't. And <clears throat> so it doesn't really matter for my cats, my dog. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so every living being has a tolerance. So, but if I go outside right now and stay there for 20 something degree, yeah, that's a big problem. So I think everything should have a range. As long as the parameter is within the range and coral is fine, especially the temperature. I remember the, uh, somebody was saying that uh, temperature acclimation for fish. Uh, in the ocean, the fish were swimming up and down. Actually, in the ocean, the temperature gradient is pretty bad. And you can get to the surface like 83 degrees, and you, 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 you swim down to 72, you swim, swim down to 70, or even lower than 70. The fish will go up and down all day long. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
So every living species will have a tolerance of a parameter. It doesn't have to be rock stable. But of course, that if you can spend your time and effort to keep it absolutely stable, why not, right? What about uh, you know nutrients, nitrates, phosphates? Those bottom out corals ah. don't like it. Uh, I think that uh, right now, I think that uh, uh, the underlying thing about phosphate and nitrate, it probably is not just the phosphate and nitrate level, because that the phosphate and nitrate we measure are the leftover phosphate and nitrate after being consumed by all the living animal in the reef tank. That's what we're measuring. Just like open your fridge, the bottle of milk you're looking at is your leftover bottle of milk. So you have a half gallon of leftover. It has no indication about how much milk you should consume. Just like when we're measuring nitrate and phosphate, we are looking at the leftover nitrate and phosphate after the coral or bacterial or whatever consume them. So in this case, that by measuring phosphate and nitrate, the way I think about it is that we should look at the upper limit instead of the lower limit. For example, you assuming your phosphate uh, at zero and your nitrate at zero, it does not mean that your coral does not get any nitrate phosphate as long as you're feeding your fish, right? So uh, it only means that there's no leftover phosphate and nitrate if you test them both at zero. What if you, um, I, well, yeah. I just want to interject. What if, what if you're, you, you, you notice some fading in your corals? Mm -hmm. Okay. In that case, that, uh, that will may indicate, yeah, the coral probably doesn't get enough. Right. But that is why I'm, uh, what I'm trying to do is that I want to have a little bit, a testable of nitrate and testable of phosphate. Well, for my testable phosphate, you point to point to me. <laughs> what do you what what, what what what's your level. what's your test kit for phosphate? Uh you just a Salford. So yeah, Salford. You just estimate. So what I want to know is that do I have a leftover? So if I have a leftover nitrate, a leftover phosphate, that means that uh, coral and and whatever bacterial coral they get enough. That's something they already consume what they need. That's a leftover thing. Another thing I want to look at is that I do not want two or three ppm of phosphate. A high phosphate level, that means something's wrong. Yeah. Or maybe I'm feeding too much. A, like a very high level of nitrate, which means that something wrong or you're feeding too much, the too much leftover, it starts to rot. So just like that. Uh, that's why that uh, the way I look at, look at uh, testing phosphate and nitrate is as long as there's leftover, I'm happy. As long as there's not too much leftover, I'm happy. What exactly number they are doesn't matter. Well, then I guess you also have to look at the situation in the tank in terms of whether or not you're yes. getting cyano and problematic algae popping up. Then, yep. then that's also an indication that you're just kind of feeding that issue. Too much. Yeah. Yep. So that's why right now that I'm, think, uh, uh, I'm thinking about is that in general, we're probably feeding too much to our tank too much fish food too much coral food too, too much aminos food, too much coral food, aminos. too much stuff yeah because that we have a closed system so uh i remember that maybe more than a decade ago there is an open letter from a marine biologist to the reef hobbyist uh the community 
saying that you guys are starving your coral. And the way he's look at the natural reef, there's so much food available to coral that they're eating uh, uh, nonstop so much. But that is an open system. It doesn't, when the food fly over the coral, the leftover food does not get rotten, does not create problem because it's an open system. But in a closed system, the story is entirely different. So if you put on one milligram of something in there, if it does not get consumed, it still stay there. Or maybe consume slowly. If a 0.1 milligram, one tenth of them get consumed, you have 90% left over. It's still there. It doesn't fly away, like in the ocean. In the ocean is that maybe one million uh, plankton fly around the coral, 10 of them get consumed, the rest of the 9 million, whatever, fly away. It does not do anything bad. But in our tank, if, if it uh, feed them coral too much, and whatever thing that the leftover will be rotting in the tank and creating a nice, uh, the, sorry, the cyano problem, dino problem, that is we are feeding too much. And also another thing is that uh, I started saying that the, the, the manufacturer recommendation on the coral food, maybe too much, seriously. And if you uh, look at how much, especially SPS, so how much fresh they have, not that much. They're mostly skeleton. So how much food they actually eat? Probably is really not that much, especially we still have fish. The fish, well, it's much easier to control for the fish food, but all the fish food will turn into poop and pee, 100% of them. All the thing about all the fish palate, frozen food that will fit to your fish, they will be all become available after they get, get excreted from the fish inside the tank. So when we feed our tank, we should also consider the amount of fish food that we put into it. Those fish food will be 100%, well, not 100% because some of them transform into the fat yellow tank. So uh, <laughs> a majority of them will become waste and come out from the fish and become nutrient or uh, those uh, bad nutrients, excess nutrients in the water. So the thing is that uh, I think we, we, in general, we probably overfeeding the fish and coral, especially we like to watch them eat, watch them just grow haywire. Makes and, you feel good. So, yeah. Yeah. It makes you feel good. Um, yeah. Re refresh everybody, Dong, in terms of what your regimen is in terms of feeding your fish and corals. Right now, I actually significantly reduce them. So I feed my... <laughs> How long does that bag and, last uh, you? Two months. <laughs> Seriously, man, you're feeding too much, dog. Well, you got a lot of fish. I have, I have a lot of fish. Yeah. I have over a hundred fish. Yeah. Last time I count. Yeah. After I count over a hundred, I stop counting. Wait, so you're dumping pellets into the uh, the tank? Pellets? Uh, I don't know what kind of. I think those sink, right? Are those sinking pellets? What happens? Yes, what happens if uh, they sink to the bottom? Is that uh, is that uh, something you worry about? No, because that uh, the fish will pick them up. Find them. Here you go. They'll find them on the bottom. Yeah, uh, that is another reason I use the new light spectrum food because that they stay long enough in the tank. Even if they sink to the bottom, they don't dis disintegrate. They don't melt away within like twelve hours, something like that. 
So uh, the, there's a chance for the fish to go to pick them up. You can see that actually the especially clownfish, the scavenger the bottom. That's why I recommend that everybody should have some clownfish in your tank. Seriously, they are the cleanup crew. Oh yeah. For leftover fish. Yeah, I love clownfish. Yeah. Have you ever, any yeah. any success having uh, two pairs of clownfish in the same tank? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I love clownfish. But I I do have a trio though. Oh, oh right, I remember seeing that. Yeah. 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 One, two, three. Yeah. So they are. Uh, this is another phenomena in the nature, which is pretty common for clownfish. Because that uh, there is a lot more clownfish than anemone. That's why they developed this trio. So basically, one male, one female, one asexual. So if the male die, the asexual one will kicks in, become a male or something like that. When the female die, the male become a female, and then asexual one become the male or whatever, something like that. So this is a the nature solution for too little house, too many people. <laughs> Yeah, that's a trio. So, all right, you got you got your pellets, uh, you feed Fido, yep. and uh, you've got this homemade frozen food, and that's about it, right? Yep. And the homemade frozen, yep, and the homemade yep. food is salmon and maybe some shrimp and scallops if some you want. Shrimp. Yep, yep. If I feel generous, I put some scallops. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. You're not. Uh, are you still using uh, refroids? Uh, occasionally. Occasionally. Yeah, occasionally I still add some rib roy, just, uh, but I don't think it's necessary after the homemade frozen food. And, and but the thing is, I still have it. I still have the bag sitting here. Refroids. Well, I pay money for it. <laughs> so, so, my, yeah, toss, a, toss a pinch in here yeah. and there. Yeah, here, use it up. And, and the, um, the, the, the salmon, you're using the salmon um, instead of amino acids because the salmon's got the amino acids in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For matter of fact, uh, many frozen food. Amino acid, you just, after the, the food degrade, become amino acid. For matter of fact, that uh, even, even you just, even the pellet, solid food, can be amino acid. Uh, the dosing amino acid is, right now, I, I, I'm not dosing any amino acid. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, because first of all, that um, uh, there's so much amino acid already in the water. From your fish food, frozen food, um, fish poop, and also photosynthesis, because part of the byproduct of photosynthesis also contains amino acids. So I really don't think that makes any difference at all. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. it's, um, I think it just comes down to what you were saying before, Dong, which is that um, we're probably dosing too many things to our reef tanks. Yeah, too many things to a reef tank. And sometimes that, uh, <clears throat> right now what I found very curious about the, the certain food, the clam has no phosphate. That thing is kind of bizarre. So the, when a fish food, a coral food clam has no phosphate, that's not really food. <laughs> Any food has phosphate in it. That's the primary basic building block of all organic material. So there's no way that there's no phosphate in it. And also another thing is that I try to simplify uh, the, all this feeding, all the chores, all the works, and spend more time looking at the coral and the fish. So uh, make it simple. You basically pellet food every day, uh, then uh, uh, twice a week, drop some homemade frozen food to it. And that's pretty much it. And when I feel so guilty, I pay for this bag of things. <laughs> I add them to it so I can feel better. But I know that you
it's not necessary to do that, but I pay money for it. Ah. <laughs> um, one last question here. John Wright, uh, does Dong add yeast to his tank? Yeast. Okay, that's a very good question. Uh, same as uh, vitamin C, yeast was a big thing. Like hot water. Yeah, seriously. Uh, basically, um, I actually tried that for a while. Yeast. I don't see, yeah, I don't see any significant difference. What's, so what's but, the theory in terms of adding yeast to a oh, reef tank? It's just adding organic material in your tank. So you're adding it's, the it's organic similar, material. Okay. Yeah, similar to dosing bacteria for food purpose. So it basically the yeast is basically just very fine organic material that a coral can take in. So uh, that is back where the day uh, when everybody is focused on ultra fine, sometimes even liquid coral food. So coral can uptake those nutrients because that uh, coral has such a small mouth, especially SPS. So that's when the yeast comes in. So um, I don't see much a difference there, but there's no side effect, not harmful. And uh, I know people dosing yeast that they say, oh, the, the, it works pretty well. Which I believe it, and it's just organic material in a very, very fine powder. Why not? It's just like rib roy. Uh, they're very fine powder food that your coral will be able to uptake. So if you have, uh, if you find you have yeast in your refrigerator, and then your wife, your mom is not angry at you by using that, feel free. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. Seriously, it, it's not harmful. Yeah, your probably your your uh, coral has some uh, gourmet food. <laughs> gourmet. You yeast. got some lucky corals. <laughs> <laughs> so that same thing happened to uh, oh actually that bring up to the uh, good memory the guy who does yeast also does this thing into his tank banana banana <laughs> yeah potassium uh, exactly that's what he said uh, but I don't think the potassium in banana is readily available for coral <laughs> uh, <laughs> but his yellow tank hippo tank loved the banana really Oh, yeah, 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 I love it. Just dose potassium uh, chloride, that's a lot easier. Yeah, KCL. potassium chloride is very simple and easy. Yeah. For a matter of fact, potassium chloride, uh, potassium actually is quite important. The 400 ppm and or above, and uh, sometimes people can keep it up to like 600 to 800 ppm. So what's the difference about what, a, what potassium can do? It actually, it's very obvious. So I have this coral. It's a PC rainbow. Uh, when my potassium level is good, it has bright blue tips. Blue. When the potassium level, yeah, drops and the, the blue tip disappears. Huh. That's my live indicator of potassium. <laughs> oh, really? They, 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 oh, yeah. There you go, your little yeah. potassium test yeah. kit right there. Yeah, potassium test kit. <laughs> so right now it has uh, many bright blue tips, so I know my potassium is fine. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just... And if your potassium, right. if you don't have the bright blue tips, are you dosing KCL? Yeah, KCL. Yeah. So uh, I actually get somebody asked me about this. Is that uh, the potassium chloride coral dip uh, versus adding potassium chloride to the tank? My explanation is all about concentration. So when you're do, doing the potassium chloride dip, the concentration is very strong. You're talking about right? for um, pests. Uh, for, yeah, the potassium chloride for, for dipping coral for yes. warmth. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's very strong potassium chloride solution. 
when you add to the tank is 400 ppm, which is very, very dilute. So that, that is what, what, what's the difference. That's why you can use potassium chloride to boost your coral's health and also use concentrated potassium chloride. Well, I, I think it works. I try it. So uh, just like you said, using potassium chloride, saturated potassium chloride, yeah, it does work uh, on the coral. But the coral take a lot longer to recover than I'm using Bayer. So that's why I still yeah. use the Bayer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. gotcha. Yeah. yeah, but it works. And also, theoretically, it works too. The reason for that is that on warm, the surface of flatworm, there's a, a potassium receptor. Uh, when those, uh, oh, well, when those, uh, uh, the, the lot of potassium uh, exposed to the, to, uh, when, when the warm exposed to a high concentration of potassium, it basically, you, you, it messes up its nerve system. So um, then you will like have a spasm, you have a seizure. So they release it uh, from the, um, of the coral fall off in the solution, and then all the water being sucked out of that for a warm. I find it to be a very effective tip. Why, Don? Why uh, you're a very smart man? Why can't we solve the problem of killing the uh, the eggs for the aquarium flatworms? Why why has this been such an issue for so long? Because that the eggs are very well protected. Protected, protected. Shell. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's the one way to do it is that the eggs always lay on the face of the acro. Always. Yeah, so you got to cut so, cut the uh, acros. Oh, no, you don't have to cut it. Sometimes cutting or, it is, is, or, is not or, realistic. Or gluing it. Especially super glue gel. Yeah. Yep, or epoxy. Yeah. You just screw them over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doug, you got you to work on a solution there, an in-tank solution there for uh, getting rid of those uh, eggs. You, is tough. Is tough. Uh, I think, but there, there is another interesting thing that I learned from uh, uh, from several coral farms is putting sacrificial coral in your tank. Yeah, like tricolors. Yeah, they tricolors. Love, they love tricolors. So Eflos. Eflos. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, uh, but overall, is that I still doing my uh, routine dipping. So that's why all this coral just sit there. They're on on a spike, sitting so on, you just on, pull on them there. Out I can dip take them. them out. Yep, I dip them regardlessly, just rotating. Yeah, just one tank after another. Some some people call me crazy, but they can handle it. But craziness have this. Yeah. So yeah, then it works. Yeah. And also that uh, uh that's why I choose bear instead of the potassium chloride, because a bear dip, uh, the coral doesn't even need to recover. So after bear dip, I put them back in the tank, the polyp fly out, done. It just, nothing happened to them. So, and especially that they just get a very nice bath, the white, uh, those white uh, formulation in a bear is soap. They basically wipe off some of the bacterial layer on them so that they, they get clean. But you gotta be careful with that stuff. It's it's not, uh, it's not uh, good if you kind of, uh, you know, get exposed to it, get on your hands. Yes, you, know, you got to be that, careful. That's very true. Yeah. You wear gloves. Got gloves and even a mask is probably a good idea. Uh, mask probably is not necessary because they're not volatile. Oh. But there is something I want to show you. Oh. What do we got? 
a plastic faucet. Oh, what's that gonna? Yeah. What's that for? Uh, just to uh... for for dipping coral, you just you, instead of dipping your hand in there. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it's plastic. And because what I find out is that my standard steel surgical one, uh, even the surgical steel, they still rust. Yeah. And also, be a little rougher on grab... the corals. Yeah, rough on the coral, but the plastic is a lot better. Yeah. No. So I forgot who gave me this. I should thank him. Yeah, I for totally forgot. Somebody gave me this. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's a plastic one. So that that uh that actually uh, reduced a lot of risk when using bears. Yeah. Yeah, of course. That for people who live in California, you cannot. I, use I it. can't. I don't think I can get it. <laughs> I don't think I can get it. Yeah, I, I, I you know I I have the I, you know. The the KCL works for me, but um, you know it's uh, everybody has their uh, their kind of favorite in terms of what uh, what 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 works and and what doesn't work yep. and and all that stuff. So it's good to have different uh, options out there. Dong, any um, any final words before we wrap it up? Anything you want to uh, say? Oh. We've talked a lot about a lot a lot of different things <laughs> tonight. Yep, I think that uh, the basic parameter, the basic uh, husbandry is 99% of any hobbyist. Um, so a lot of this fancy stuff, dosing and uh, fancy equipment, give you that extra 5% of boost. So what I see over and over is that people are going after the 5% yeah. and losing the 95%. Yeah. So uh, if you follow the very basic formula, do your 10% water change. Don't dose anything other than the, the calcium, alkalinity, and look at your magnesium. Test very often, do your water change, and buy a good lighting, very important. Forget about Amazon, eBay, and AliExpress, or Timu. Oh my God, that is a- What, which one? Timu? I don't even know that. Oh, really? That, 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 that's a new shopping trend. Yeah. You can find all this out cheapo stuff, yeah. garbage, with uh, dirt cheap. Uh, so, so support the, the U.S. manufacturer for the LED, P5, or uh, even the old company like ATI. Seriously, yeah. you've got what you pay for. Basically, just like that. Yep. So get a good lighting, good pump, and... Do your water change. Keep your bare minimum basic stuff. You will have a successful tank. Yes. At much less risk. By uh, if you push the envelope, it will get pushed back. There's a <laughs> there's a lot of things out there that um, you know can potentially make things a lot more complicated than they really can be. Yes. And so that's always yep. you got to kind of keep your eye on the ball there in that in that sense. And simple is better in this yes. this hobby. Yep. Yep. Simple is the best. Yeah. Especially that uh, one important thing is you can do all this fancy stuff, but think about it. Do you have the energy to always doing the fancy stuff? <laughs> if you're dosing 10 bottles of little liquid using a dropper every day, ask yourself this question. Can you always keep it up? <laughs> the question probably is not. Yeah. So well, that's what they make automatic dosers for, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but then the thing is that you get a lot more failure rate. Yeah, that's so right. So one more piece of equipment, yeah. there's a one chance. The more variables so, in play. Yeah. Better the chance. So, but do test often. Yeah. But actually, I, I'm all of all for automatic testing. Seriously, 
it's not feasible for me because I have three separate systems. That means that a thousand dollar equivalent for you is three thousand dollar for me. Right. Then you got to maintain it all and all that sort of thing yeah, exactly. and replacement yep. parts and things like that. Yeah. 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 Do test often, but do your water change. Do your simple way. Find a way that is simple. Find a way that you can continue doing that. Even you have a big argument with your wife, you get kicked out of the house, okay? But you still can maintain. <laughs> right. The, the point is that you don't want to like get make it so complicated that it becomes yep. drudgery where then you get yes. frustrated, then you drop out of the hobby. Exactly. And actually, a lot of things, uh, the uh, equipment manufacturer, they in order to get the uh, economy going, People are trying very hard to sell you new stuff. If you can accommodate the new stuff, you can financially afford the new stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But think about it and do it the lazy way. The laziest way you can maintain doing the same chore and spend more time looking at your tank, enjoying your coral instead of chasing after technology. For a matter of fact, after, like, if you look back 15 years, Rethink technology. Actually, everything goes down to the basic. It's just a slightly different yeah. uh, packaging. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Do the basic. It's something that you can maintain. You can keep doing. Even you get thrown out to the garage and you have to sleep in your car. <laughs> but you still can come back and do the same simple thing. That is the right way of rethink. And always remember, this is a hobby. Something that you got to enjoy doing. That enjoying doing that means that less chores that you have to do, and financially not a burden. Yeah. If you your uh, significant other look at a receipt you accidentally left <laughs> on the dinner table, and then you you're in trouble. Go out into an argument, you're in trouble. That is not worth it. And also, you can maintain a beautiful reef tank with minimum effort and a minimum cost. Just don't follow the train too much. Yeah. Stay with the basic. Good words to end by. Hey, Chris from ACI, you finally made it in the stream there, Chris. You're a little late, dude. We'll have Chris on in a couple of weeks. So, uh, Dong, all right. So, for those of you that um, are in the Northeast, you got to check out Dong's place. He's in the Boston area. So, you should definitely check it out. It's uh, it's it, you won't uh, you won't be disappointed. You can, you can uh, connect with Dong on the Boston uh, Reefer Society website. Uh, you can get a hold of him there, and he's also a sponsor of the club, as am I. So, you know, you can check him out on the sponsors forum. Just go to bostonreefers.org, and that's how you connect with Dong. But you also ship as yep. well, though you're reluctant to ship. I know that. Yeah, uh, actually, I can ship. You can ship. Uh, but um, um, most of my coral uh, is just local. Yeah. I would prefer local. So if you are living in, like, New York, Vermont, and... If you're willing to drive over here, I give you a bigger discount <laughs> to make up for your travel. Seriously, because that shipping always put more stress on the coral. Let me tell you, folks. Put, yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's worth the trip to Dongs. I've I've made several three plus hour trips to go visit Dongs, so it's uh, it's definitely worth your while. Like I said, so for sure. Thank anyway, uh, Dong, thanks again, man, for uh, for being on. I see there's a whole bunch of people in the chat that uh, just uh, loved uh, hearing your uh, your thoughts. So, look forward to having you back on. 
And also want to yep. thank. Um, to yep. Also want to thank both yep. Folk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for sponsoring the live stream, and thank all of you folks out there for tuning in. Also, a big thank you to Paul, who is the moderator as well as the president of the Boston Reef Society. Please join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so important to this hobby. I also want to let you know that all episodes of Rapid Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next live stream is actually going to be in a couple of days. Thursday, I'm having a uh, live coral sale right here on YouTube. So some pretty cool uh, choice frags <laughs> up for grabs, including a couple of Tyree Purple Monster frags. So that'll be in the live sale. And my next Rapid Reef Bomb live stream will be next Tuesday, December 12th at 7 p.m. And I'm going to have both Sanjay and Mike Paletta back on the show. So that should be a very... Um, Yep. interesting uh, conversation and again meckley is going to be on in two weeks if you want to check out the full upcoming schedule of guests please visit reefbum.com under the youtube section until next time be safe and be well later